0: Hi guys, welcome to Reads, Recks and Reviews. My name is Chiamaka, your host and the Bukeshiba girl. If this is your first time listening, take a sit, relax and let loose. To all of my OG listeners, you are lit. except from Homegoing by Yaa Gyasi. Um, first of all, can I, can I just say that the fonts are tiny? So I'm reading um, The Mountain Sing. I'm almost done with that. And like the fonts are large enough. And then I'm switching to Homegoing, and it's like my eyes are trying so damn hard to quickly adjust to the fonts. And I'm like, oh my god, what is this? But yeah um i have been reading i started reading home going in march and i stopped so basically i'm racing to finish all of my all the books that i never finished um yeah i might skip um the book of the month for next month because i don't know i might just skip it but, um, yeah, basically, I'm trying to just rush, you know. I've been DNFing a lot. Not DNFing, just, you know, reading and dropping. But I want to finish up everything that I started and then move on to newer things. Basically, at least before the main books, the main, um, well, before the book club reads that I'm anticipating towards the end of the year. So... Yeah, um, as always, um, I'm going to read the blurb for Homegoing by Yaa and I'm just going to start with the um, with the I think it's called review the first review by Zadie Smith. She says, Homegoing is a novel I wish I could have read when I was a young woman. Effia and Essie, two sisters with two very different destinies. One sold into slavery, one a slave trader's wife. The consequences of their fate reverberate through the generations that follow, from the Gold Coast of Africa to the plantations of Mississippi, from the missionary schools of Ghana to the dive bars of Harlem, spanning continents and generations Yagiazi has written a miraculous novel, an intense, heartbreaking story of one family and through their lives, the story of America itself. So far, so good. Let me just say something. Um, I think I wrote something down in my book journal. Can I? Um, so far, so good. I already have a character I don't like. So far, so good. Um, I'm trying to make the connections between Effia and SC. I mean, already know that they're sisters um but um and also i think that it would fit into one of the prompts for the something bookish reading challenge um yeah i'm trying to think of what prompt i think it will fit into i think multi-generational and i think crosses countries yeah, I think it will fit into that. So, yeah, um, I'm going to start. I stopped at... Um, so, this is also a way for me to catch up with my reading. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, this is also a way for me to catch up with my reading. So, I stopped at... um. Hold on. Let me find... Uh, wait a minute. Okay, so, I'm done with SC. And I am moving on to... Key- I don't know how to pronounce this. key I think I'll pronounce it key. Q U E Y. I hope that is the right pronunciation. But yeah. Um, I'm going to start from key, and that is um, I don't even know the chapter. Uh let's see, let's see, let's see. Huh. I think it's chapter two. Chapter three, sorry, chapter three, page fifty. Alrighty, let's read along. Oh, if you have your book and you're listening to this, you can read with me. (laughs) Okay, so, Key had received a message from his old friend, Kudyu, and didn't know how he would answer. That night, he pretended the heat was keeping him awake. An easy lie. Okay, sorry, take two. Uh, My mom came in. So, um, Key. Key had received a message from his old friend, Could you? And they didn't know how he would answer it. That night, he pretended the heat was keeping him awake. An easy lie, for he was drenched in sweat. But then, when wasn't he sweating? It was so hot and humid in the bush that he felt like he was being slowly roasted for supper. He missed the castle, the breeze from the beach. Here, in the village of his mother, Ephia, sweat pooled in his ears, in his belly button. His skin itched, and he imagined mosquitoes crawling up his feet to his legs, to his stomach, to rest at the watering hole of his navel. Did mosquitoes drink sweat, or was it only blood? blood he pictured the prisoners being brought into the cellars by the tens and twenties their hands and feet bound and bleeding he wasn't made for this he was supposed to have an easier life away from the workings of slavery he was raised among the whites in the cape coast educated in england he should still be in his office in a castle working as a writer the junior officer rang that his father, James Collins, had secured for him before his death, logging numbers that he could pretend didn't represent people bought and sold. Instead, the castle's new governor has summoned him, sent him here to the bush. As you know by now, Key, we've had a long-standing working, with, working relationship with Abiku Badu and the other Negroes of his village, But of late, we've heard that they have begun trading with a few private companies. We would like to set up an outpost in the village that would act as a residence for a few of our employees as a way of, say, gently reminding our friends that they have certain trade obligations to our company. You've been specifically requested for the position and giving your parents history with the village and given your comfort and familiarity with the language and local customs, we thought that you might be a particular asset to our company while there. He had nodded and accepted the position because what else could he do? But inside he resisted. His comfort and familiarity with the local customs, his parent's history with the village, Key was still in Iphia's womb the last time he or his mother had been there, so scared was she of Baba. That was in 1779, nearly twenty years ago. Baba had died in those years, and yet still they had stayed away. Key felt his new job was a kind of punishment, and hadn't he been punished enough? The sun finally came up, and Key went to his uncle, Fifi. When they had met for the first time only a month before, Key would hardly believe that a man like Fifi was related to him. It wasn't that he was handsome. Effia had been called the beauty her whole life, and so Key was accustomed to beauty. It was that Fifi looked powerful, his body a graceful alliance of muscles. Key had taken after his father, skinny and tall, but not particularly strong. James was powerful, but his power had come from his pedigree, the Collinses of Liverpool, who'd gained their wealth building slave ships. His mother's power came from her beauty, but Fifi's power came from his body, from the fact that he looked like he could take anything he wanted. Key had known only one other person like that. Ah, my son, you're welcome here, Fifi said when he saw Key approaching. Sit. Eat. Summoned, the housegirl came out with two bowls. She started to set one in front of Fifi, but he stopped her with only a glance. You must serve my son first. Sorry, she mumbled, setting the bowl in front of Keith instead. Keith thanked her and looked down at the porridge. Uncle, we've been here a month already and yet still, you haven't discussed our trade agreement. company has the money to buy more, much more, but you have to let us. You have to stop trading with any other company. Key had given this very speech or one like it many times before, but his uncle Fifi always ignored him. The first night they were there, Key had wanted to talk to Badu about the trade agreement straight away. He thought the sooner he could get the chief to agree, the sooner he could leave. That night, Badu had invited all the men to drink at his compound. He brought them enough wine and a to drown in. Timothy Hightower, an officer eager to impress the chief, drank half a caskful of the homebrew before he passed out underneath a palm tree, shaking and vomiting and claiming to see spirits. Soon, the rest of the men also littered the forest of Badu's front yard, vomiting or sleeping or searching for a local woman to sleep with. Key waited for his chance to speak to Badu, sipping his drink all the while. He had had only two cups of wine before Fifi approached him. Careful, Key, Fifi said, pointing to the scene of men before him. Stronger men than these have been brought down by too much drink. Key looked at the cup in Fifi's hand. His eyebrow raised. Water, Fifi said. One of us must be ready for anything. He motioned to Badu, who had fallen asleep in his golden throne. His chin nestled down into the round flesh of his belly. Key laughed and Fifi cracked a smile. The first that Ki had ever seen since meeting him. Ki never talked to Badu that night, but as the weeks went on, he learned that it was not Badu he needed to please. While Abiku Abiku Badu was the figurehead, the Omahin who received gifts from the political leaders of London and Holland alike for his trade in for his role in their trade, Fifi was the authority when he shook his head the whole village stopped now fifi was as silent as he was every other time key had brought up trade with the british he looked out into the forest in front of them and key followed his gaze in the trees two vibrant birds sang loudly a discordant song uncle The agreement Badu made with my father. Did you hear that? Fifi asked, pointing to the birds. Frustrated, Key nodded. When one bird stops, the other starts. Each time, their song gets louder, shriller. Why do you think that is? Uncle, trade is the only reason we're here. If you want the British out of your village, you have to what you cannot hear key is the third bird. She is quiet, quiet, listening to the male birds get louder and louder and louder still. And when they have sung their voices out, then and only then will she speak up. Then and only then will she choose the man whose song she liked better. For now, she sits and lets them argue who will be the better partner, who will give her better seed, who will fight for her when times are difficult. Key This village must conduct its business like that female bird. You want to pay more for slaves? Pay more. But know that the Dutch will always pay more and the Portuguese and even the pirates will pay more too. And while you are all shouting about how much better you are than the others, I will be sitting quietly in my compound, eating my fufu and waiting for the price I think is right. Now, let us not talk of business anymore. Key sighed. So he would be here forever. The birds had stopped singing. Perhaps they sensed his exasperation. He looked at them. they blue, yellow. Orange wings, their hooked beaks. There were no birds like this in London, Key said softly. There was no colour. Everything was grey. The sky, the buildings, even the people looked grey. Fifi shook his head. I don't know why Effia let Jane send you to that nonsense country. Key nodded absently and returned to the porridge in his bowl. Key had been a lonely child. When he was born, his father built a hut close to the castle so that he, Efia and Key would live more comfortably. In those days trade had been prosperous. Key never saw the dungeons, and he had only the faintest idea of what went on in the lower levels of the castle, but he knew that business was good because he rarely saw his father. Every day was for him and Effia. She was the most patient mother in all of Cape Coast, in all of the Gold Coast. She spoke softly yet assuredly. She never hit him, hit him, even when the other mothers taunted her, telling her that she would spoil him and that he would never learn. Learn what? Effia would answer. What did I ever learn for Baba? And yet, he did learn. He sat in Effia's lap as she taught him to speak repeating a word in both Fante and English until Key could hear in one language and answer in the other. She had only learned how to read and write herself in the first year of Key's life, and yet she taught him with vigour, holding his small fat fist in hers as they traced lines and lines and lines together. How smart you are, she exclaimed when Key learned to spell his name without her help. In 1784, on Ki's fifth birthday, Effia first told him about her own childhood in Badu's village. He learned all of the names, Kobe, Baba, Fifi. He learned there was another mother whose name they would never know, that the shimmering black stone Effia always wore around her neck had belonged to this woman, his true grandmother. Telling the story, Efio's face darkened, but the storm passed when Key reached up and touched her cheek. You are my own child, she said. Mine. And she was his. When he was young, that had been enough. But as as he grew older, he began to lament the fact that his family was so small. Unlike all of the other families in the Gold Coast, where siblings piled on top of siblings in the steady stream of marriages each powerful man consummated. He wished that he could meet his father's older children, those white collinses who lived across the Atlantic. But he knew that it never be. He had only himself, his books, the beach, the castle, his mother. I'm worried because he has no friends, Effia said to James one day. He doesn't play with the other castle children. Key had almost stepped in the door after a day of building sand castle replicas of the Cape Coast castle when he'd heard Effia mention his name and so he had remained outside to listen. What are we supposed to do about that? You've coddled him, Effia. He's got to learn to do something on things on his own. He should be playing with other Fante children, village children, so that he can get away from here from time to time. Don't you know anyone? I'm home, he announced, perhaps a bit too noisily, not wanting to hear what his father would say next. By the end of the day, he'd forgotten all about it. But weeks later, when Kuyo Saki came with his father to visit the castle, Ki remembered his parents' conversation. Kuyo's Kuryo fa- father was the chief of a prominent Fante village. He was Abikubadu's, Abikubadu's biggest competitor, and he had begun meeting with James Collins to discuss increasing trade when the governor asked him if he might bring his eldest son to one of their meetings. Key, this is Kuyo, James said, giving Key a small push towards the boy. You two play while we talk. Key and Kuyo played watched their fathers walk off to a different side of the castle. Once they could hardly make them out more. Kuyo turned his attention to Ki. Are you white? Kuyo had asked him, touching his hair. Ki recalled at Kuyo's touch, though many others had done the same thing, asked him the same question. I'm not white, he said softly. What? Speak up, Kuyo said. And so Ki had repeated himself nearly shouting from the distance the boy's fathers turned to observe the commotion not so loud key james said key could feel color flood into his cheeks but kuyo had looked just had just looked on clearly amused okay so i don't know if i'm pronouncing this name well c u d j o kuyo kuyo whatever Please, correct me. (laughs) So you're not white. What are you? I'm like you, Ki said. Kuyo held his hand out and demanded that Ki do the same, until they were standing arm-to-arm, skin-touching skin. skin. Not like me, Kuyo said. Ki had wanted to cry, but that that desire embarrassed him. He knew that he was one of the half-caste children of the castle, and like the other half-caste children, he could not fully claim either half of himself <sighs> Excuse me He could not fully claim either half of himself Neither his father's whiteness nor his mother's blackness neither England nor the Gold Coast Kuyo must have seen the tears fighting to escape escape Ki's eyes. Come on, he said, grabbing Key's hands. My father says they keep big guns here. Show me where. Though he had asked Key to show him, Kuryo was the one who began to lead the way, running until the boys had zipped past their fathers towards the cannons. It was in this way that Key and Kuryo became friends. Two weeks after the day they first met, Key had received a message from Kuryo, asking if he would like to visit his village. Can I go? Key asked his mother. But Efya was already pushing him out of the door overjoyed at the prospect of a friend. Kuya's was the first village that Key had ever spent a lot of time in, and he was amazed at how different it was from the castle and from Cape Coast. There was not even one white person there, no soldiers to say what one could or could not do. Though the children were no strangers to beatings, they were still rowdy, loud, and free. Kuyo, who was 11 like Ki, was already the oldest of 10 children, He ordered, and he ordered his siblings about as though they were his tiny army. "'Go and fetch my friend something to eat,' he shouted at his younger, younger sister when he saw Ki approaching. The girl was but a toddler, Tom, still inseparable from mouth, But she always did as Kuyo said as soon as he said it. "'Hey Ki, look what I found,' Kuyo said." hardly waiting for Ki to reach him before opening his palm. Two small snails went in, were in his hands, their tiny, slimy bodies wriggling between Kuyo's fingers. This one is yours, and this one is mine, Kuyo, pointed. Kuyo said, pointing them out. Let's risk them. Kuyo closed his palm again and started to run. He was faster, and Kuyo and Ki had a hard time keeping up. When they got to a clearing in the forest, Kujo sat down on his st- got down on his stomach and motioned for Key to do the same. He gave Key his snail, then marked a line in the dirt as the starting point. The, bur- the two boys put their snails behind the line, then released them. At first, neither snail moved. Are they stupid? Keyo asked. Prodding his snails with his index finger. You are free, stupid nails. Go, go. Maybe they're just shocked, Key Ki- said, and Kuyo looked at him like he was the one who was stupid. But then, Key's snail started to move past the line, followed second la- seconds later by Kuyo's snail. Key's snail did not move like a snail usually did, slowly and deliberately. It was as though he knew he was racing as though he knew he was free. It didn't take long for the boys to lose sight of him, while Kuyo still ambled along, even turning in a circle several times. Suddenly, Ki was nervous. Maybe Kuyo would be angry at his loss and tell him to leave the village and never come back. Ki had only just met Kuyo, but already he knew that he didn't want to lose him. He did the only thing he could think of. He did the only thing he could think to do. He stuck out his hand, as he'd, seen, as he'd often seen his father do after business deals, and to his surprise, Kujo took it. The boy shook. My snail was very stupid, but yours did well. Yes, mine did very well, Coojo agreed, relieved. We should name them. We'll call mine Richard, because it's a British name, and he was bad, like the British are bad. Yours can be named Kwame. Key laughed. Yes, Richard is bad, like the British. He said. He forgot in that second that his own father was British, and when he remembered later, he realized that he didn't care. He felt only that he belonged, fully and completely. The boys grew older. Key grew few inches in one, four inches in one summer. While Kudyo grew muscles, his legs and arms rippled so that sweat flowing down them looked like cresting waves. He became known far and wide for his wrestling prowess. All the boys from neighboring villages were brought to challenge him and still, he won every match. Eh, Ki, when will you wrestle me? Kudio asked. Ki had never challenged him. He was nervous, not of losing for he knew he would lose, but because he spent the last three years carefully watching and knew better than anyone what Kuryo's body was capable of. The elegance of Kuryo's movements as he circled around his opponents, the mathematics of the violence, how an arm plus a neck could equal breathlessness, or an elbow plus a nose meant blood. Kudyo never missed a step in this dance and his body, both forceful and controlled, heard key Lately, he had been thinking about Kuya's strong arms encycling him, dragging him down to the ground, Kuya's body on top of his. Get Richard to wrestle you, he said, and Kuya let out his exuberant laugh. After the snail race, the boys had started to name everything good or bad Richard, When they got in trouble with their mothers for saying something crude, they blamed Richard. When they ran the fathers or won a wrestling match, it was thanks to Richard. Richard was there the day had swum too far out and his strokes had tended to fail him. It was Richard who had wanted him to drown, and Richard who had saved him, helping him to regain his rhythm. Poor Richard. I would destroy him, Kujo said, flexing his muscles. Key reached over to squeeze Kuyo's arm. Though the muscle did not give way, he said, Why? Because of this small thing. Eh? Kuyo said. I said this arm is small. It feels soft in my hand, brother. Without warning, quick as a stroke of heat lightning, Kuyo locked Key's neck into his arms. Soft, he said. He asked. His voice was hardly more than a whisper, a wind in Key's ear. Careful, friend. There's nothing soft here. Though Ki was losing his breath, he could feel his cheeks flushing. Kuyo's body was spread so close to him that he felt for a moment that they were one body. Each hair on Ki's arms stood at attention, waiting for what would happen next. Finally, Kuyo let him go. Ki took in deep gulps of air as Kuyo looked on. A smile playing on his lips. Were you scared, Ki?" Kiyo asked. No. No? Don't you know every man in Fantyland is scared of me now? You wouldn't hurt me, Key said. He looked straight into Kiyo's eyes and could feel something in them falter. Quickly, Kuyo regained his composure. Are you sure? Yes, Ki said. Challenge me then. Challenge me to wrestle. Kuyo walked up to Ki until he was standing only inches from his face. Challenge me, he said, and his breath danced on Ki's own lips. The next week, Kuyo had an important match. While drunk, a soldier in the castle had boasted that Kuyo would never be able to beat him. Negroes fighting other Negroes is not a challenge. Put a savage against a white man, then you see. One of the servants, a man from Kuyo's own village, had heard the white man, the white soldiers' boast, and reported it to Kuyo's father. The next day, the chief arrived to deliver his message personally. Any white man who thinks he can beat my son, let him th- let him try. In three days, we will see who is better. Ki's father had tried to forbid the match, saying that it was uncivilized, but the soldiers were bored and restless. Uncivilized fun was exactly what they craved. Koyo came at the end of that week. He brought with him his father and his seven brothers, no one else. He had not spoken to him since the week before, and he found himself inexplicably nervous, the feeling of Koyo's breath still present on his lips. The soldier who had made the boost was also nervous. He paced, and his hands shook. As all of the men of the castle looked on, Kuyo stood across from his challenger. He looked him up and down, assessing him. Then his eyes found Key's in the audience. Key nodded at him, and Kuyo smiled. A smile that Key knew to mean, I will win this. And he did. Only a minute after the march started, Key had his arms wrapped around the soldier's fat belly, flipping him over and pinning him down. The crowd roared with excitement. More challengers stepped in, soldiers whom Kujo defeated with varying degrees of ease, until finally, all the men were drunk and spent, and Kuyo alone was unruffled. The soldiers started to to leave. After congratulating Kujo loudly and raucously, His own brothers and father also left. Kuyo was to spend the night in Cape Coast with Ki. I'll wrestle you, Ki said, when it looked like everyone had gone. The night air was starting to move into the castle, cooling it but only a bit. Now that I'm too tired to win, Kuyo asked. You've never been too tired to win. Okay, you want to wrestle me? Come catch me first. And with that, Kuyo broke into a run. Ki was faster than he was in the early years of their friendship. He caught up to Kuyo at, to at the cannons and dove towards him, locking his legs and pulling him down to the ground. Within seconds, Kuyo was on top of him, panting heavily, while Ki struggled to turn him over. Ki knew he would tap the ground three times, a signal to end the match but he didn't want to. He didn't want to. He didn't want Kujo to get up. He didn't want to miss the weight of him. Slowly, Ki relaxed his body, and he felt Kujo do the same. The boys drank in each other's gazes. Their breathing slowed. The feeling on Ki's lips grew stronger. A tingling that threatened to draw his face up towards Kujo's. Get up right now," James said. Key didn't know how long his father had been standing there watching them, but he recognized a new tone in his father's voice. It was the same measured control he used when he spoke to servants, and Key knew, though he had never seen, to and and Key knew, though he had never seen, to slaves before he struck them. But now there was fear mixed in. Go home, Kudjo, James said. Key watched his friend leave. Kujo didn't even look back. The next month, just before Key's fourteenth birthday, while Effia cried and fought and fought some more, going so far once as to strike James across the face, Key boarded a ship bound for England. I heard you. I heard you're back from London. "'Can I see you, old friend?' Key couldn't stop thinking about the message he received from Kojo. He stared into his bowl and saw that he had hardly eaten any of the porridge. Fifi had already finished one bowl and asked for another. "'Maybe I should have stayed in London,' Key said. His uncle looked up from his meal and gave him a funny look. "'Stayed in London for what?' "'It was safer there,' Key said softly. "'Safer? Why?' Because the British don't tramp through bushland finding slaves, because they keep their hands clean while we walk, let me tell you, the work they do is the is the most dangerous of all. Key nodded, though it wasn't what he'd meant. In England, had gotten to see the way black people lived in white countries, Indians and Africans who were packed twenty or more to a room, who ate the slop the pigs left behind who coughed and coughed and coughed endlessly, altogether a symphony of sickness. He knew the dangers that waited across the Atlantic, but he knew too the danger in himself. Don't be weak, Key, Fifi said, staring at him intently. And for just a second, Key wondered if his uncle had understood him at all. But then, Fifi returned to his porridge and said, Isn't there work for you to do? he shook his head trying to collect himself he smiled at his uncle and thanked him for the meal and then he set off the work wasn't difficult he and his fellow company men's official duties included meeting badu and his men weekly to go over the inventory overseeing the bomb boys who loaded the canoes with cargo and updating the castle's governor with news of badu's other other trade partners Today it was Key's turn to oversee the bomb boys. He walked the several miles to the edge of the village, greeted the young fante boys who worked for the British, shuttling slaves from the coastal villages to the castle. On this day, there were only five slaves bound and waiting. The youngest, a small girl, had messed herself, but everyone ignored it. Key had grown accustomed to the, had grown accustomed to the smell of shit. But fear was one smell that could stand out for that would stand out forever. It curled his nose and brought tears to his eyes, but he had learned, learned long ago how to keep himself from crying. Every time he saw the bomb boys set off with a canoe full of slaves, he thought of his father standing on the shores of the Cape Coast castle ready to receive them. On the shore, watching the canoe push off Key brimmed with the same shame that accompanied each slave departure. What had his father felt on his shore? On his shore, James had died soon after Key arrived in London. The ship ride there had been uncomfortable at best, harrowing at worst, with Key alternating steadily between crying and vomiting. On the ship, all Key could think about was how this was what his father did to the slaves. This was what his father did to his problems. Put them on a boat. Ship them away. How had James felt every time he watched a ship push off? Was it the same mix of fear and shame and loathing that Key felt for his own flesh, his mutinous desire? Back in the village, Badu was already drunk. Key said hello and then tried to move quickly past him. He wasn't fast enough. Ki grabbed him, Badu grabbed him by the shoulder and asked, How's your mother? Tell her to come and see me, eh? Ki pursed his lips into what he hoped looked like a smile. He tried to swallow his disgust. When he had accepted his assignment here, Effia had cried out, begging him to refuse, begging him to run away, all the way into Asante, as his never-known grandmother before him had done, if that was what he... If that was what he needed to do in order to escape the obligation, she had fingered the stone pendant on her neck as she spoke to him. There is evil in that land, in that village. Key, Baba, Baba is long dead. Key said, and you and I are both too old to still believe in ghosts. His mother had spit on the ground at his feet and shook her head so quickly he thought it might spin off. You think you know, but you don't know, she said. Evil is like a shadow. It follows you. Perhaps my mother will, s- will come visit soon, Key said now, knowing that she would never want to see Badu. Though his parents had fought mostly about him, it was obvious that to all that they had cared for each other. And though a part of Key hated his father, another part still wanted ardently to please him. He finally freed himself for Badu and kept on working and kept on walking. Kujo's message repeated in his head. I heard you're back from London. Can I see you, old friend? When Key had returned from London, he'd been too nervous to ask after Kujo, but he hadn't needed he hadn't needed to. Key had taken over as chief of his old village, and he still traded with the British. Key had recorded Kujo's name, name in the castle ledges nearly every day when he was still working as a writer. It would be easy enough now to, to go see Kujo, to talk as he used to, to tell him that he hated London as he had hated his father, that everything about the place, the cold, the damp, the dark, had felt like a personal slight against him, designed for the sole purpose of keeping him away from Kujo. But what good will come of seeing him? Would one look have him back where he'd been six years ago, back on that castle floor? Maybe London had done what his father had hoped it would, but then again, maybe it hadn't. Oh my god, I'm so tired. (laughs) Okay, so I didn't finish the whole chapter, I stopped somewhere. But like I said, I'm tired. So basically, um, I should have been writing my thoughts. I thought of something while I was reading, and um, basically, this is, I think it's um, it, you know, I think homegoing can be referred to as, um, hi- an um a historical fiction, and I am glad that we have writers who are, you know, opening up and, being inclusive about so many things saying um writing about our stories as Africans you know as um, writing about the African continent and all of the things we've been through and the ha- and the hands of white people and it's 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 profound because these things still happen I mean there's so many like the news this past weeks have like my head has been spinning like spinning and spinning i don't want to go into so much details but we know of the news we see these things and it's like sometimes you're just feeling helpless and wondering what you can do i, I really i i just like reading this book like reading it it's just i mean i already knew about slavery but somehow in fiction it's it makes it more real I remember serving in Calabar and you know um I went to the slave museum and I wasn't while reading this I wasn't really surprised that you know the fantes were selling out their own people into slavery because while in while at the slave museum we were told of because I think um calabar was also a point um, of delivery of slaves, but we're told that some people I remember his name, I think it was Ida Hakot It was the man that was named Hakot, Port Hakot. I'm not sure, I'm not sure, but I think you can just check it out. But he was the one who was in charge of the slaves selling the slaves. People would sell their brothers and sisters for a cup full of jean or for a mirror, a shard of mirror. Or just outrageous things that you know, white people used to entice us and make us feel like we are backward and barbaric. But then, if you look at our history all the way down to Egypt, we were glorious, my God! Africa is such—we were we are royals, and I think that once we slowly realize these things, I feel that we would actually start taking things into our own hands. We actually start. Writing a lot of wrongs i'm not going to go into some a lot of things because already i'm already emotional <laughs> but anyways that is um i just read um an excerpt from home going and um it is motivation enough for me to actually pick it up when i'm done reading the mountain sing like i said i'm trying to um finish up every book that I have started reading and didn't get to finish, so there's a lot of them, The Underground Railroad, which I need to read because I heard that there's a, um, a series for it, is there a series or a movie? I'm not sure, on Amazon Prime, um, The Hood, sorry, Heal The Hood, um, there are like a lot on my bookshelf that I've started and I need to finish, not the ones I like DNF, those are different. These ones are actually interesting to me, but you know, life and everything happened and I sort of left them off. But yeah, um, you can get this book from bookstores around you, obviously, I'm sure. Um, if you haven't read it, I think you would enjoy it. I don't know what I can say. I don't know what my verdict is, was so far so good. It is, um, how would I put it? It is. It's a great read. It is quite enlightening, you know. It's given me a lot to think of, a lot to look into, a lot to compare, like, then and now. Something of that nature. So, um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this except, Um Honestly, I, I, I'm sorry I didn't um, put up in, an episode last week. Life caught up with me again, and I was just staring at my phone. I was like, I need to record something, I need to record something, and that was how I forgot till so the next day. And then I was like, Okay, I'm going to try and record something. And then Friday came on, um, I looked at the time, it was already six. I'm like, Yeah, right, fuck it, I'm not doing this. But yeah, it's so far I'm enjoying it, and I hope that um, you're enjoying it too. Um, I'm going to still try to keep ahead of the game and um, do a lot of recordings. Um, I've been trying to do think of a recommendation, but I haven't thought of how to put it in. I wanted to do something on reverse harem, but um, I have to do a lot of research on that before I put it up for you guys. Anywho, you know where to find me. Connect with me on all of my social media instagram twitter StoryGraph, goodreads everywhere you can find me i'm on there i think and i will see you guys in my next episode don't forget to like share wait this is not youtube don't forget to share subscribe <laughs> um uh, send me voice messages i'm here to get voice messages from you guys i would like to hear you and i'll see you guys in my next episode adios